Hi, everyone. Welcome to the By the List podcast. My name is Bilal Malik, and this is my co-host, Trenton Cito. How are you, Trenton? Absolutely fantastic. You could even say super, because if I'm not mistaken, this uh, this playoff, this wildcard weekend has been branded super wildcard weekend. How are you, Bilal? Hey, I'm also doing pretty good. Uh, thank you for asking, Trenton. I mean, we are, as you just said, entering super wild card weekend and i mean whoever came up with these branding names needs to uh rethink it but it is what it is at this point all right trent before we continue on to our normal schedule there there's some real life news we gotta discuss and it's saddening but on wednesdays you are well aware of trying our capital at the our capital in Washington D.C. The capital building was overrun by domestic terrorists who who literally broke into the building and started causing havoc. And yeah, there isn't really much more to add right now. And Still, still hard to believe that it actually took place. Yeah, um, honestly, when the news came out that this was all going down on on Wednesday, it was it was just really shocking and like incredibly hard to believe how how it even happened. Yeah, we know how it happened, Trenton. Though we had a president who incited the violence. He's the one who told his supporters to walk down in the Capitol, and they took it literally. And they went down, and they... and they destroyed the people's house. And what's even more... um, what's even more saddening is that this was done also at the moment where during a joint session of Congress trying to certify the election of, and promote the peaceful transfer of power for the new incoming administration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I know we aren't really political on this podcast, but we have spoken out and discussed various issues this past year of doing this show, whether it had been the death of Kobe Bryant and the impact that that has left on the sports world or the social justice issues that the NFL players have taken up. And it is, it would be just irresponsible of us to just not talk about this for a few minutes before we um, start the show. And just to think of what these people were trying to do. Ultimately, they didn't succeed in their plan. The election was certified by Congress. Obviously, much later than it was scheduled to be these proceedings it was only the last 30 to 40 minutes if you look historically and this was done roughly finished roughly at 2 30 a.m central time but it was, these people didn't succeed and that was the greatest thing that our democracy is still standing another day and because without that then what are we we are a nation of laws and you break those laws then what else is there for you and these people trying these were these people are so dumb in what they were doing. 
they felt they were in a position of privilege where they could flat out just give their name, give their where they're from, and not even care that they will be arrested. Because they, they will be arrested. Every single one of them will be arrested. And they will be sent to jail for a very long time. At least that's the hope. Because you would, I can guarantee you right now, if it was any other type of group, they would have been, they would have been uh, dealt with much more swiftly than what these people were dealt with. Just look at what happened in the summertime with the social justice issues. It would, these same streets, these same officers were ready and those people were just peacefully protesting. But it took much more action there. And the NFL community obviously had, had a lot to say to it. And some notable people that we would know of, that we know of, um, shared their reactions. So I know you have like a list of people ready to go. So let's just see what, how this has been resonating in the NFL community before we decide to continue on with our normal show. Yeah, um, and I honestly couldn't put it any better than, than how you explained the situation. So thank you for that, Bilal. Um, I mean, Russell Wilson and many of the Seahawks players were were talking about it. Um, R- Richard Sherman as well, former Seahawk player, was was talking about how they were they were led into the Capitol pretty much without a fight. Um, yeah, because you saw police officers taking selfies with, with the mob, mm-hmm. with these terrorists. They were taking selfies with them. And like, yeah, yeah. Um, Justin Simmons, safety for the Broncos. Uh, he he referenced that, you know, it it seems like going into the Capitol and destroying property is more acceptable than what Colin Kaepernick and other players did in taking a knee for, for injustices, which is... They didn't hurt anybody. Right, which is a very fair point. Um, so, yeah, there's just so many, so many players that are, that are talking about this and using their platform, you know, as, as sports players, as very public figures to, to talk about it. And, you know, there's, there's the, the crowd that says that as a, as a sports player... You know they should stick to sports and not not talk about this and not you know share their their opinions about it. But really, because they are such public figures, they should be using their voice to make a difference. And, it and comes make, with the territory of being, like you just said, it comes with the territory of being a top player in your profession in your league, and you have to stand up for it because you have the platform, you have the voice, and. I know the NBA in general does a good, a really good job of this. And the, the NFL does a pretty good job as, as well. But uh, these people have the platform, and as long as they have it, they should use it for whatever they feel is necessary, what change needs to be brought to the world. Because people need to be aware of what's going on. Yeah. And, uh, you never think this would happen in your country. You would assume it would happen in some country run by a dictator where the people are trying to overthrow the government. 
And these people really had no legitimate reasoning for being there. They weren't, they're not oppressed. They had nothing going for them. They were just upset that they had lost an election and they thought that something could have happened. But it's a sad time in American history and one day we will be, and one day we will look back later. And later uh, on. one that our, our kids will le- read about in their elementary school history textbooks, which is... yeah which is a wild thing to think about, but man, what a, what a way to start 2021. I thought we're leaving all the craziness of 2020 behind and, uh, you thought, you thought, no, we did not. Uh, it continues. All right. So we're going to be going on to, uh, our normal structure here of the show. So the biggest news of the day, Trenton or the week is that the NFL regular season has ended, which means coaches have been fired. And I'm sorry to say, yes. Adam Gase did not survive the firings. Oh, man. It was, uh, I really thought that a 10 year deal might be coming, but arguably the most surprising coach firing besides Adam Gase is Anthony Lynn, the head coach for the Chargers. I didn't see that coming. All these other openings that came up, I mean, a few of them, three of them came within the season. You had Matt Patricia of the Lions get fired. You had Bill O'Brien and you had Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn. Thank you. And you had, you saw those coming. I mean, no, you didn't. I don't know if you saw them coming, but they probably would have came. But just the way they came in the middle of the season was a little bit surprising. Um, Doug Marone, just the way the, J- the Jags were playing. That was going to happen. But Anthony Lynn, I mean, he takes his team to winning three games in a row at the end, three or four games at the end of the season. And your rookie quarterback sets the passing record touchdown. And for the most part, that is a pretty strong core team that is there. And I thought he would have been back. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. You're right. Um, when you talk about the success of Justin Herbert, it just feels weird that, you know, after his rookie season, they're going to strip away everything around him and rebuild again around him. And, you know, for a young quarterback like that, you, you need a stable structure around him. You, you don't want to remove too much of the support around him. No, and look at that too. Like, what did he have to start the season with? He, in COVID, I mean, still have COVID, but we had COVID in the training, which affected the training camp. We didn't know if there would be a season, which thankfully we were able to play all 256 games and looks at the playoffs are also still on track. But um, he didn't know he would even be starting. Yeah, poor Terod Taylor. Poor Terod Taylor had a, a, a hole poked in his lung. <laughs> And then and that sent the whole situation. I mean, he played pretty well in that first ever game when he was told like two minutes before that he would be playing. But that team, that team is the team right now as a whole that if I'm a head coaching candidate, I would be most excited to go uh, co-coach. And there are a lot of, a lot of names right now that have been floating around being interviewed in different uh, positions. We have Raheem Morris, who currently is the 
Falcons interim head coach. He's been floated around for the actual head coaching job for Atlanta. So probably like something that he did down there. Eric Bieniemy, Eric Reed's offense coordinator in Kansas City, has put up fantastic results with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, honestly, they only lost one game if you want to look at it because the Chiefs rested their starters in that on Week 17, so they lost. They lost that game, but doesn't really matter. Robert Sala, the current 49ers defensive coordinator. I mean, the success he's had with that team is is remarkable. And considering all the issues that have been going on with the 49ers in terms of injuries, in terms of COVID, in terms of not being able to play in their home stadium, stuff like that, it's all been good. And then surprise candidate here right now is Joe Brady, the Panthers offensive coordinator. I mean, he just joined uh, Matt Rule's staff. I believe they, I believe he was in Baylor before that. He was with Rule, or he, he was in some college ranks before he joined the Panthers, I believe. And just to see him getting an, a, a um, potential head coaching position is very fascinating. Yeah, and, especially after they didn't have a very good offensive season this year. No, they didn't. And I don't know what that says for any team that decides to pick them. But uh, it'd be interesting to see. Out of all these potential candidates who have been interviewed already for these head coaching jobs, who do you think has the best chance of getting a position? All of them could because there are uh, tons of openings. I mean, we have – how many openings do we have? We have the Jaguars. We have the Jets. We have the Lions. We have – uh, the Falcons and the Chargers. Am I missing a team? Uh, the Texans. 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 Uh, six teams. And how many do we have here? One, two, three, four. Four. I mean, there are going to be other people who are going to be interviewed overall. These are just some top names. But who do you think gets – who's the best chance of getting a job out of these? The first one, let's say. And where does he go? That's uh, That's tough. Well, where does he go is a tough one, but I think the easiest answer for who's going to get the job first is going to be Eric Bieniemy, just because of how dynamic his offense has been with Patrick Mahomes and in the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, Eric Bieniemy right now, I think, is the hottest name on on the coaching carousel. He's honestly the top two people on this list are are. Eric Bieniemy and Robert Sala, because just the success they've had. Raheem Morris is the one guy on this list who has had previous head coaching experience because he coached Tampa Bay about back in like a while ago, actually, like I think 2013, 2014-ish time was when he got fired from the Bucks. So, I mean, he's the only one here who has that experience, but – I would also have to agree with you that it would be Eric Bieniemy and Eric Bieniemy, just because if he comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree and Andy Reid coaches have had relatively pretty good success in the NFL. I mean, John Harbaugh has been from it. He's from that tree. Matt Nagy's from that tree. Uh, who else do we have who coached under Reid? Those are honestly the only two names at the moment that come in, but 
whoever's come from the Andy Reid coaching tree is always that's why he's always had to find people to replace those positions because they keep going on to better things. I mean, Eric Bandemi replaced Matt Nagy as an offensive coordinator in Kansas City. So, and Reid always puts out quality people. Yeah. Which, um... I, I did come up with a, a quick list here if you want me to hit you up with yeah, it. Yeah, go for it. It's, uh, John Harbaugh, it's a big name. Doug Peterson, that's another big name. Ron Rivera, that's another big name. Sean McDermott, that's another big name right there. I mean, you know, the, the list goes on and on. So look at it. I think all his – all these um, head coaches, that at least the ones you listed, they made the playoffs as a head coach. A couple of them have won Super Bowls. And they basically changed, turned the fortunes around of the teams they've been to, for for the most part. I mean, currently, I mean Doug Peterson's in a in a pickle right now, but uh, we'll get that in a minute. <laughs> and I'm thinking here, out of all the openings that we have, the US, we have six openings, right? What is the most attractive position, attractive team to get to in terms of if you were a head coach? Where would you want to go, Trenton Cedo? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Chargers being a very attractive choice just because of, you know, they they have their supposed franchise quarterback already over there. Uh, if you're a guy, this one year, yeah, yeah, he's the guy. Mm-hmm. If you if you want somewhere with a, a super fresh slate, Jaguars number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence just sitting right there, although that team does need rebuilding. Same thing for the Jets as well. The Jets, honestly, are the most risky situation in my view. Yeah, I know you're going to get the high draft pick, but you also have Sam Darnold there, who at times, I'm going to say at times, has played well, but there have been many times he has not. (laughs) But there is just that establishment there within that team that you are going to have to navigate through. The Jaguars, like you said, it's a complete fresh slate. They can literally do whatever he wants. There's going to be a new GM there too. And and the ownership is good. It's good ownership. Shad, Shad Khan is a good it's a good owner. Even though he is, I mean you have to remember that Jacksonville was three years ago in the three four years ago in the AFC championship game. A game away from the Super Bowl. Which lost they have the they have a good defense too for the most part. And well not really anymore, but uh they did. And some of the people from that team are still there. But like again it's a fresh slate. But with that comes if you're going for guaranteed success right away, that's probably not where you want to be. And that is probably also the team that requires the most work, but it allows you to mold that team into what you want it to look like. So there's the ups and downs, and you have a lot of cap space, and you have the first overall pick. So, but in my view, like you just said, the Chargers, if you want a team that just needs a little bit of work and you need and you think you can make the playoffs, I mean, they did win 40 games in a row to close out the year. So, and you have the quarterback set the rookie who is probably going to win rookie of the year mm-hmm. or at least offensive rookie of the year. So, 
I mean, has has that award really established a future career out of it? Not really, all the time. But for one year's of sample size in a very limited offseason filled with COVID, I believe that he's a really good quarterback for what he's able to do. And if they're able to build around him and put together a good leadership for that team, things will be good. So if I was a head coach, I'd want to go to L.A. Yeah, and in terms of least favorite and least exciting jobs, probably the teams that have a lot of very old players there, veteran players who could stay with the team a few more years, but they're not going to be part of the long-time future. The Lions and the Texans, in my view. Mm -hmm. And the Falcons. They have Matt Ryan Ryan and Julio Jones, who – would probably be gone in this offseason, one would think. And it's nothing to knock. It's not a knock on these not a knock on these players. These players have had pretty good success during their career, but it's like some of these are gonna be like like Matt Ryan's gonna be his if he stays there, it's gonna be his third head coach. Uh, when it comes to Matthew Stafford, it would be his third, I believe, too if you don't count the interim head coach this year. Uh, Houston, it's been like there. It's going to be, I think it's Sean Watson's second head coach. But at the same time, these teams haven't performed well over the past few years in general. And they have a lot of people who are under contract. And like you said, older people who you're going to have to find some way to deal with. Like, it's it's going to be more. It might even be a more challenge than the Jets fit in this category too. Like they have people, but they're not as older. But you have people you have to work with. Jackson was the only team that has you can really call it to be a complete slate. So yeah, I wouldn't want to go to any of the, the Lions or the Texans. I mean, it's good teams. Too much work. <laughs> I mean, honestly, willing to put in that much work if you're not willing to then you know head coach should be in the league if they want to put in the work. But the team that has the most potential to turn around their season very fast is the Chargers. Everyone else is going to take a lot long time to and some of these top players won't want to be won't want to wait that long, in my opinion. Yeah. JJ Watt. That's a good point. You're wasting a talent, a talented man right there. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Texans, we have uh, some hiring there. And this time, the head coach and the GM are going to be two separate people? Yes. It will not be <laughs> It will not be a case of, of another attempt of Bill Belichick, uh, as, as the Texans have fired head coach Bill O'Brien and GM Bill O'Brien. <laughs> but Trenton, the only person to have ever succeeded really well at the dual roles of a GM and a head coach has been Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. But this new hire does have a Patriots connection. Yep, it is Nick Casario, who is the former Patriots director of player personnel. He's been hired as the GM for the Texans. And uh, honestly, he, from what I've seen of him, he did not really hold a lot of power in New England because, of course, Bill Belichick is, is mainly the GM and Bill Belichick is the one who has the final say 
over uh, over personnel, but you know. But he had the opportunity to learn off of him, mm-hmm. and hopefully he's. I mean, he's now given the opportunity. There's a reason he's been given the opportunity now, right? To uh, even though Deshaun Watson was told he would be part of the search of the new head coach and the new GM, but uh, looks like that didn't happen this time. But Nick Casario did come out and say that Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt are our guys. So if anyone wanted to, uh, the, to get in on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes and get a mm-hmm. trade for him. Probably not going to happen anymore because they did just sign him that contract last year, and no one's going to really pick that up for. No one's going to really trade for that contract at this moment. At least I wouldn't. Based off of last year's performance, he put it well, but he couldn't get the team to do well. So, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Uh, why don't we stick with? Houston Texans quarterbacks. This is a former Houston Texan quarterback. It is Matt Schaub. Matt Schaub. How how long has this man been in the league? It's been so long. I. It's been a very long time, Trent. I. I just uh, in this news right here that we found out during the research, I learned some things about him that I had no idea. Yeah. Um. He's he's finally retired. It's been uh. He's 39 years old. He was drafted in the third round of the 2004 NFL draft. His career started as the backup to Michael Vick with the Falcons. And I had no idea that was what I learned about this. I had always thought he'd been part of the Texans. (laughs) Yeah. um, It was after that, that he was eventually traded to the Houston Texans and given the opportunity to be their starter. And then after that, he went with the Raiders and then the Ravens, and then he returned to the Falcons as a as a backup. So, a, a very nice long career for him. His playing time with the Falcons wasn't that long. He only played three games during his two stints with the Falcons. But the most, for the most part, he was beloved by the teammates, beloved by the city, and I mean, he's just someone that we've come to know across paying attention to this league for the for the years that we've been watching this sport. And so, I mean, a good guy and uh, hope and wish him well in retirement. Speaking of good guys, Trent, how good of a guy is Russell Wilson? I think he's incredible at football and incredible at life. I would have to agree with that statement a hundred percent. And that, and here's a, here's a piece of information that solidifies that. He, so the Seahawks have a receiver, right? And his name is David Moore. All right. And he needed to reach a certain amount of catches to receive a, um, a bonus from his contract. He had signed a $825,000 contract at the start of the season, which included a $100,000 bonus. And that was conditional upon him reaching 35 catches this season. And he was at 34 catches at this game. And during the whole first half of this game, roughly he was shut out without a catch. No, not even the first half, sorry. The first 59 minutes of this game, he was shut out without a catch. And the Seahawks were in victory formation in their game, and there were 22 seconds left. And Russell Wilson 
came up with like this improv play to throw the ball a five yard pass, allowing him to reach that thirty five yard, a uh, thirty five catch threshold. That's and that's fantastic. In a situation where the team had locked up the game, and they just had to, they just had to run out the clock. Russell Wilson knew what his teammate needed to get his bonus, and he helped him do it. That's like that. Those are. I love those type of stories. Yeah, um, and especially in a season like this, and even in a in a crazy week like this, that's that's definitely good to hear. Sadly, <laughs> I have to bring that down with our next piece of news. Um, and if you've been following the league, it's a uh, it's a storyline that's been very big in Still the NFL. Confused on what actually really took place. Yeah, it's uh, it is Doug Peterson's decision to put in backup quarterback Nate Sudfeld in a three-point game, in which the the Giants had staken because if the Eagles beat the Washington football team in this game, the Giants would go to the playoffs, and if Washington beat the Eagles, then Washington would go to the playoffs. So um, yeah, in a in a three-point game, Doug Peterson pulls out Jalen Hurts in the beginning of the fourth quarter, puts in Nate Sudfeld, who promptly throws an interception on his first drive and fumbles a football to Washington on his second drive. And uh, it's just been a really confusing situation in that, you know, some of the Eagles players seemed very surprised that it happened. Other Eagles players claim that 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 was the plan all along and they knew about it. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been, really weird i still don't get why it happened and it happened at the end of the game he comes out and he says i just wanted to see what i had in nate sudfeld first of all nate sudfeld has been around for a while as a backup quarterback so four years sorry what i think four years four years okay we'll go with that i'm assuming you're right (laughs) all right the fact he's on your team the first part, you should know what type of quarterback he is because he's your backup quarterback. Let's say Jalen Hurts goes down, you should know how to adjust the game to Sudfeld's interest. Never mind that part. But still, you if you want to see who he is and you know this game is nothing to you, you put him in at the beginning of the game. You don't put him in in a situation where you could still win the game. I know your season's lost. You're going. To, you're not going to the playoffs. It's been disappointment after disappointment. You're playing in the NFC East. Everything is all that. But as Herm Edwards once said, Trenton, you play to win the game. These are professional players who are getting paid millions of dollars, who have a lot of pride in their work. And they, they put their bodies on the line for the first three quarters of a four-quarter football game. <laughs> exactly. This isn't a preseason game. They're not being pulled out to put the backups in. These guys are going to be playing the whole game. So why are you going to disrespect their sacrifice? Again, they know it's a meaningless game. They're not going anywhere, but they still got to finish the season out. They still got to, they still want to win the game because who doesn't want to go out the season on a high note 
with a win, even though you're not going anywhere. It just makes you feel good. And it's just the reasonings don't add up because if you wanted to tank the season, I mean, the season was over. I'm saying if you wanted to tank the game, what did you gain from it? If you lost the game, you would be in the sixth position for the draft. If you won the game, you'd be in the ninth. Was three draft positions really worth it? And I don't know. I don't know. He's lucky he didn't get fired after that game because just the way he managed that whole situation, it, it would have made even more. It would have made sense in a way if he put him in at halftime. But when you're in a three-point game, why? Yeah, it, uh, it just like you said, it, it just doesn't make look, sense. Look at the other teams that have won the Super Bowl in the past few years. Of course, teams have what you call a Super Bowl hangover in a way. They don't do as well unless you're the New England Patriots with the Tom Brady and the Bill Belichick. They, they somehow find themselves back in the Super Bowl for three years in a row, but that point aside, they don't do as well, but they're not that... They still have relative success. Looking at the Philadelphia Eagles, they won it in 2000. They won it in the 2017 season. So that would have been February of 2018 when they won the Super Bowl over the New England Patriots. Has there been a Super Bowl champion in your mind that has fallen off the course as fast as? Um, the Philadelphia Eagles have. I know the 49ers come to mind, but they didn't win. So that would be if the, I mean, the Chiefs look like they're even better than they were before. But like the Eagles, they were lucky enough to make the playoffs in 2018 and 2019 as well. But like they didn't have any success. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a weird situation. And, um, uh... We'll see how it affects Doug Peterson down the line. And one thing I think you brought this up earlier once we we were talking about this earlier once, and you brought up Broncos. But look at that team from twenty the twenty fifteen season and twenty sixteen season. They lost Peyton Manning, they lost their head coach. There were a lot of big structural changes that went on in that team. The Eagles, they have Carson. They had Carson Wentz still. They had Doug Peterson still. They had most of those players that played in that Super Bowl still there. It, um, it's not like there was a big overhaul with that team. They've just collapsed, and who knows? And they, they're lucky they played in the NFC East and had a chance basically until the end to, to, to win that division. I mean, it's an embarrassment for a team that comes last in that division. So, <laughs> it's, a, it's what they did. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a very, it's a very brutally accurate state. All right, uh, why don't we follow that up with a little bit of happier news? Derrick Henry. Is Man, we're like a roller coaster here, Trenton. We hit some hard <laughs> news, then we go down, then we come back up, then we go back down. Let's try to go on the up here, man. Yeah, it's it's been that kind of it's been that kind of week. Um, that kind of season, that kind of year. <laughs> there we go. Derrick Henry has joined the the very small list of NFL running backs who have rushed for 
over 2,000 yards in a single season. And uh, it, he needed 223 yards in order to reach 2,000 yards. How many did he get? I'm assuming he got way more than that. Yes, he had 253, I believe. Wow, Trenton, not even having the stats ready to go. <laughs> I'm uh, looking at the wrong stat here. Here we go. 250 yards. 250 yards and two touchdowns on 34 carries in a win over the Houston Texans. For, this was a game that mattered. This yeah. game mattered. They needed that to uh, win the NFC South title, and they did. On a doink field goal that actually went in. I mean, when does that happen? Uh, you're delving into dangerous territory here, Bilal. <laughs> I mean, the only guy who really hits doinks is Cody Parkey, and he happens to be in the playoffs this year. Again, Hooray! so let's see what he does. <laughs> he, he finds himself in the in the playoffs once again. All right, why don't we take a look at the injuries that are going to be possibly affecting the playoffs going into this super wild card weekend. For the Bears, Roquan Smith has uh, a chance to play. He is their starting linebacker as well. They're also missing perhaps Darnell Mooney and Jalen Johnson, who are also very, very important young players on that team. Buster Screen still a lot of success. Who have had a lot of success recently in Mm -hmm. in their young career. Yeah. Um, perhaps the biggest injury news is that it's still unsure whether Jared Goff is coming in for the Rams or if it's going to be John Wolford again at quarterback for them. That would be, that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the Rams, the Rams need them. They're going to get the Seahawks. I don't think John Wolford can uh, take on the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Same thing for the Washington football team who are thinking about possibly starting Taylor Heineke. If uh, Alex Smith is still, limited so it'll be uh it'll be interesting for sure there i'd take an, i'd take a limited alex smith over at taylor heineke mm, in my view that's a, that's a good point uh and i think that's it for some of the some of the bigger injuries here what's going on in covid yeah covid's never gone away and uh, i would love the day once we can do this uh, show and not have it in our outline. But until that day comes, the Browns. So Trenton, you see the Browns are in the playoffs, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's great for them. Great for them to be in. Oh yeah, it's great for them being, except that uh, they can never seem to catch a break. <laughs> they're in the playoffs, but their head coach is COVID, so he will not be coaching this week. Kevin Stefanski has tested positive for COVID-19 along with two players and I believe some other coaches as well. So that will just be interesting to see how the Browns take this on because they'll be taking the Pittsburgh Steelers even though they did play the Steelers last week. They played the Steelers backups and that in itself was a tight game. So, and I know the Steelers have not been playing relatively well the past a few uh, last months of the season. 
But the last game the starters played, they did come out with that victory over the Colts. Even and that was a comeback victory. So that just I don't know, it comes makes you think in a way that that team has found some spark and they were rested for a week too. So it will be interesting to see how this continues on. I've never heard of a coach. I mean, no, you've heard of coaches being suspended and they have been but does that affect the player's mindset? How is it going to affect their mindset, knowing that their head coach isn't going to be there? And he's the reason, for the most part, in my view, that Cleveland is in the playoffs. Yeah, um, I think it's definitely going to affect a lot of what they want to do. Um, on one hand, they, they want to win it for the coach, you know, who, who can't be there. Um, but on the other hand... motivation. Right. On the other hand, they're missing their their head coach, and I believe he's also their play caller as well. well there he um, goes right there. And and not to mention that they're they were finally able to open their facility and have their first practice in more than a week. And it happens to be their only practice that they get before they face the Steelers. So that that doesn't help either. It does help in a way that they did play the Steelers the week before. But again, it's not the same team. So on one level, it's a benefit and a drawback. Oh, this next news is not. Why does there always have to be some type of news like this every week? This one involves Jerry Jones. And what does that tell you right there, Trenton? It already tells me that it's going to be some kind of outrageous headline. Yeah, because apparently he is boasting that the Dallas Cowboys were able to have a world record attendance during a pandemic. And that sentence in its own trying to set a world record within a pandemic. So hopefully I clarify this. It doesn't mean that they are setting a world record in general. It is the world record within the pandemic, if that makes any sense. But who cares? So the stadium, AT&T Stadium in Dallas, in the Dallas area, has a capacity of 80,000 fans. Now, obviously, they weren't allowed to have full capacity because of COVID restrictions. So the Cowboys averaged only 27,377 fans for each of their home games. I mean, that's nothing, right? It's only 34% of their stadium capacity. Yeah, that kind of feels like a lot. That's thirty. That's twenty-seven thousand three hundred seventy-seven possible COVID cases, right there. Yeah, that's um, that's that's kind of out of touch, Mister Jerry Jones. Against their game, their game against Pittsburgh on November eighth, there were thirty-one thousand seven hundred fans in the stadium. And Jerry Jones is so happy because the next closest team. Were the Jacksonville Jaguars with an average of fifteen thousand nine hundred and nineteen fans per per home game? Yeah, in my view, that's a stat you keep to yourself and you just don't brag yeah. about that in the middle of a pandemic. That's uh, gotta agree with you there, Bilal. <laughs> Another one of these. There's always one of these type of COVID stories every week, so. Mm-hmm. And this last piece of news that we have here is actually really interesting. 
Tony Romo will be calling Bears Saints wild card playoff game from home. Wow, that's uh, that's taking working from home seriously. Are we are we going to see his his kids maybe popping in uh, on the side, or you know maybe hear a dog barking in the background? That will be that will be quite the experience. Can we see Tony? (laughs) What if some technical difficulties go on too? (laughs) His feed cuts out. The camera is pointed oddly at the ceiling. Tony, Tony, Jim Nance talking. Tony, Tony. It's like, oh, sorry, I had to go to my kitchen, get up a snack. In the middle of the game. Tony yeah, Romo's. This is all... Sorry, he's, what? Wearing, he's wearing a suit on top, and then he says, hold on, I need to get something to drink. He stands up, and it's Cowboys pajamas on the bottom. He's. Uh... <laughs> that would be something. Good thing the camera isn't on the announcers for the most part. It's, it'll be focused on the action on the field. Cause, um, no, but it's good to keep the consistency. I know last weekend, uh, because of COVID protocols, I think Romo tested positive, and at the last second, they had to fly out Boomer and across country to uh, go call the game along with Jim Nance. So that'll be... Um, It'll bring back some sense of normalcy, and we hope that uh, Tony obviously recovers because COVID is something no one wants to have. And and he's a talent, and he's going to be – you need him for this. And I believe CBS is calling the Super Bowl this year too. So it'll be – we're not getting rid of Tony Romo anytime soon. I believe you could fact-check me on that, but I think it's fairly correct. Moving on with the our usual routine here. This is the time. This is the time of the show right now, Trent. We're we'll basically discussing the uh, NFL power rankings. But honestly, skipping through these right now, um, they seem like some. They haven't changed like they usually don't, and there's just too much to talk about right now this week that um, it'd be a waste of time, honestly, to discuss this. Uh, if anyone wants to listen, look it up. Feel free, but uh, we have some games to discuss, starting with an important game that had two teams fighting for a playoff spot in a winner in the situation. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the more interesting quarterback situations of this year. I mean, okay. Broncos Broncos had to put out a, a wide receiver at quarterback, and this game between the Rams and Cardinals started with uh, Kyler Murray going injured on the first drive, and we instead got the amazing, amazing matchup between two quarterbacks who were both undrafted in 2018. <laughs> John Wolford for the Rams and Chris Streveler for the Cardinals. At least the Rams had some level of stability because mm-hmm. they knew they would be sticking a Wolford the entire game. But the Cardinals, they start with Murray, then he gets hurt. And then Strebler comes in, and then when... And then Murray comes in. Yeah, when all seems lost, they're like, Murray, come in and save us. He wanted, they wanted to pull a Lamar Jackson. <laughs> That's, uh... Except he didn't have cramps. <laughs> no, he had some a little worse. And then Murray goes out. And then 
Yeah, it was. A, I mean, the game was tight for the for the most part the whole time. They were good. And the Rams defense came in clutch for the Bears, thankfully, because Rams offense wasn't doing anything, and mm-hmm. uh, they got scary there for a moment because the Bears were not winning their game. They were not going to win their game. It, I mean, when it became evident the Bears were not going to win, we had to turn to the Rams, and well, that saved the Bears playoffs hopes, and we will be getting to that right now because the next game on the list we were going to talk about was Titans and Texans but we kind of covered it up when we talked about Derrick Henry so let's just keep chugging along here Trenton no, we're, right. keep this, we're going to keep this quick though because I don't want to relive this and I want to move on to uh, to something better <laughs> something happier I understand below I had really mixed feelings after this game because I had already found out that, uh, I mean, we were in a position where we knew the Rams were going to win the game, but the Bears lost. So I was, in, I was in very mixed feelings at the end of this game. But there were a couple of things in this game that we talked about last week the Bears could not do, and sadly they did do it, which they turned the ball over twice, and the Packers scored on both those possessions following. Yeah. Um... The one thing that you can't do is give Aaron Rodgers the ball. And the one thing you can't do is let him be not pressured in the pocket because then he's just going to rip you up. And that happened the first time the Bears met them this season, and that happened this time as well. Um, Aaron Rodgers didn't throw an incomplete pass for a long time in this game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was hard to watch. I mean, for the most part, of the team put up a pretty good fight. I mean, we played strong, but just turnovers, man. Turnovers kill us. Even the Packers committed a turnover, and it um, you thought things would go better, but it didn't really help. But Cordell, Cordero Patterson is so smart. There's a reason he's an all-pro. There's a reason he's in the Pro Bowl is to start the game by giving us the field position at the 40-yard line instead of the one. He knew the rules. He knew the yeah. rules. Um, but yeah, he really had to be careful because he almost, instead of giving the ball on the 40, gave the ball right there where he stepped out of bounds. At the one-yard line. <laughs> yeah. But I think going to this next game, thankfully, okay, here's when I, before we go into this, we have to take a step back here Chicago Bears are in the playoffs Trenton and just the way this season has gone to be able to say that sentence is is a remarkable thing in itself you got a five and one to five and seven to eight and eight and still making the playoffs I'm thankful for that. And honestly, you got to think about this stuff. People are talking about how Matt Nagy isn't the best head coach. But look at it. The Bears were in the playoffs in 2006. Go to the Super Bowl. What happens after that? We don't go in until 2010. And after that, we don't go in until 2018. And then now we're in Two out of the three years that Matt Nagy has been a head coach, we've been in the playoffs. I know it helped with the seventh seed, 
I know it helped because some other teams in the conference were not good. But the Bears had to win all eight games. They had to win those games because those ended up with the tiebreaker scenarios because it was between – the reason we had the tiebreaker over the Cardinals was our record over common opponents. And we were just better against some of the same teams. So putting that out, we're in the playoffs trying. It's a new season. Everyone's 0-0. Zero and, zero. and still everyone's counting us out, which I understand completely. But I think we can use that two-hour advantage. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned some people don't like Managi as a head coach. Honestly, I, I, like, I love Managi as a head coach. Um, Would you rather as, have Mark Tressman and John Fox again? <laughs> I mean, as as a motivator, Matt Nagy is fantastic. Matt Nagy is probably one of the, the best of the best, right up there with with maybe Pete Carroll in terms of energy level. Um, in terms of offense and you know scheming, that's where he he's fallen a little short in these these past two seasons. But um, you know, the offense now with him sharing duties with Bill Lazor has been much better. Um, in, in scheming things open and making things easy for Trubisky. Uh, my concern is the defense, of course, which hasn't looked good since the bye week. But um, I, I think the offense definitely gives them a, a fighting chance against Drew Brees. And I think I like the matchup against the Saints much better than their matchup against the Packers. And we've played these, this team once before. I mean, be it that we did have... Um... We did have Nick Foles as our starting quarterback at the time, but we played pretty well against this team and we pushed them in overtime. We took them in the last seconds in overtime. And that was part of the start of that losing streak that we were on at the moment, which, um, I mean, it was a hard time to go through, but uh, came out of that. And I think that we will, I mean, it's Trubisky's second game in the playoffs. And that first game left a really bad taste with a double doink. And the next year, not making the playoffs. And then everything that he had been through this year, and especially even have come in that terrible loss to the Packers. It's going to provide motivation. And this team has the capability to to do well if things go well in this game, which I hope they will. And honestly, um, they did do something well against Alvin Kamara the first game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, all he had, I held him to roughly 60 yards rushing. So if you can contain that guy. And this is before – we played him before Drew Brees got hurt. And Drew Brees isn't still to full recovery levels. So he's going to be limited in what he can do, even though he has been – he's recovered enough to play. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, hey, just be thankful that we're in the playoffs right now and it's a fresh slate for everyone. Yeah, playoff uh, playoff weekend is exciting, even if it is just the wild card, even if the Bears only got in with that, that seventh seed, it's, it's still playoffs. They're in. That's all that matters. They're in. And whatever happens from here is anyone guess. But we will try to predict right now what that may be. So let us go through these games. I mean, let's look at where we ended the regular season off. That we had our best week of the season. It was incredible. Yeah, Um, we both went fourteen and two. 
And uh, when you when you go fourteen and two, you make the playoffs. <laughs> exactly, and that's what we are about to get into right now. So we have six games on this super wild card weekend. First one up on the slate: Colts and the Bills. I I I have to go with the Bills. Um, if the Chiefs weren't in the AFC, I would say that the Bills are the hottest team in the AFC. Yeah, I'm going with the Bills as well. I mean, it's a home game for them. They're going to have fans in the stadium, which is something we didn't really talk about yet. Um, I believe from what I've heard is that every player who – every fan who gets to go in the stadium won't be getting a COVID test, and they have to prove positive before being allowed into the stadium. No, Sorry. Not proved positive, proved, proved <laughs> negative. I was about to pull a Trump and be like, positively on the negative side. I mean, <laughs> no, they have to prove negative. And if they're negative, they'll be allowed entry into the stadium, which is, I don't know. Let's see how it goes. So you don't want it to provide a false sense of security because the pandemic is still going strong, but it's good for the Bills that they have the opportunity to host a playoff game for the first time in what so 25 long. years yeah because, so long i mean that was the last time they won the division so that would have been the last time they would have hosted a playoff game all right rematch rams and seahawks division rivals playing in seattle this time you ready for a surprise go for it i think the rams are going to win this surprise <laughs> <laughs> That would be a surprise. I'm taking the more safe and conservative pick in this one here. I'm going to the Seahawks. I just think Seahawks at home, even though there are no fans really, just against the back of a quarterback who's only played in one game is uh, too much to ask for, right? unless Jared Goff is playing. If Jared Goff is playing, he gives the Rams a better chance, but coming off that surgery, probably not. Yeah. Tom Terrific is heading to the state of Maryland to play the Washington football team. And I think he is going to make the acquaintance of Chase Young, who's going to say, Hi, Tom, while he's laying on top of him after, after a, a very brutal sack. Uh, I think Washington wins this one, actually. Wow, okay. I was about to say, like, okay, he can have his sack, but is that, <laughs> does that translate to a win? No, I'm, I'm going with Washington here. I'm going with the Bucks. I think Tom Brady's at the show that he can still make it and succeed in the playoffs without having to be in the Patriots system. And when was the last time Tom Brady had to travel to go to a playoff game in the first round? Yeah, that's uh, been a while for him. I don't. Yeah, I can't remember because usually in the first round he'd be at home. Yeah, it's either divisional or he won the because they won the division, or they'd have a first round buy. That's how it used to be. Things change. All right, Ravens and the Titans. I'm gonna go Titans here. Yeah, same here. I think the Titans are a better team right now and. I know the Ravens have had their struggles over the season, and they're in the playoffs, though, so who knows? But Titans are, in my view, the better team for this 
game. The Bears and the New Orleans Saints. I've uh, I've already picked two underdogs. Why don't I pick a third? Let's go with the Bears. Yeah, I mean this. I mean the Bears are the most are the yeah. Every again, everyone's counting them out, and we don't know what's going to happen in this game. We don't know what type of Bears team we're going to get. We don't know what type of Saints team we're going to get either. Like this, it's beautiful beauty of sports, Trenton. Is that you never know what to expect. Obviously, I picked the Bears seventeen weeks in a row, and no, sixteen weeks in a row. And so, why not continue it? The Bears closing out the season. No, not the season. Closing out the wild card weekend, we got the rematch between the Browns and the Steelers. As, as much as I would like to pick my uh, <laughs> another another underdog here in the Browns, I have to go with the Steelers just because the Browns have been dealt a really, really terrible deck of cards for uh, this game. Steelers it is, Trenton. Six games. Super wild card weekend is upon us. All right, I think that does it for us. We had a, a really good discussion this week and can't wait to continue it on around next week. Hopefully, hopefully our team is still alive coming coming next weekend. But until then, thank you all for listening to the By the Laces podcast. We hope you have a great rest of the week and enjoy some playoff football. We'll be back next week with another episode. And do not forget to follow us at Bill Malin 15 and Trent underscore Cito. Please stay safe and wear a mask. John Wolford for the win.